So I've told this story before, but I got to tell it again because it's a powerful illustration of how God works. Uh, many of you know that I was a marketing teacher for many, many years, and, and Brian was a marketing student, not one of my stars. <laughs> that, was, that was hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Brian, of 15 years of hearing this story, that's the first time you've added the... Um, yeah, I did, I did add that. Yeah, I did I added that. That's... Yeah. No, but we we're it's not we're not done yet. That's it grows. <laughs> <laughs> I just wait. Well, did you ever become an officer and a great, you know, uh the vice president of your Decker Club. Oh man, he he was and one I of did, my stars. And I, <laughs> and I did medal at every competition I went no, to. No, you did? Show. I did, yes. Wow, that's terrible. Where I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that shows you just old age illusion memory. But you know what's really cool about Brian that really made him stand out back then was his character. Uh, we went up to uh, Lloyd Center uh, in the marketing class. We were doing visual merchandising. So I loaded all of my marketing kids up, Sharon and I and a bunch of kids. I can't remember. There was a lot of them, maybe 50 kids or something like that. So uh, we had just found out, you know, just a couple days before that, that there had been a big gang shooting right there in the middle of the mall. And uh, I was like, oh, great. So we're all locked and loaded. Everything's set. We're going to go up. And so we get there, and there's there's too many 50 kids. You can't get them all around one display case, right, and evaluate the display, visual merchandising stuff. And so I grabbed Brian aside, and I said, hey, look, you know, I'm, I want you to be the man that will stand in the gap if there's some craziness going on between my wife and the craziness. Now, Sharon didn't know that. I just told Brian, took him aside. I said, I know that you'll stand in the gap. Now, now, Brian's been one of those guys that's been the one that would absolutely stand in the gap. And he is that guy. He is that, he's that, where are you, TJ? Where are you? He's that, he is that guy. He was that guy, you know, what were you, 17 or something like that? I knew I could trust him you know, because he had proved himself over and over and over again as a man that would stand and deliver, a young man that would stand and deliver. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of young guys out there like that. They weren't back then, and they're not now. And so, you know, Brian's always been that guy. And so I am just so thankful that he's now a part of the leadership in the Lord's army, the Lord's church. And when I laid hands on him and ordained him as an evangelist, you know, his heart is... To, to build people and draw them out and up. Praise God that, you know, Darren is here because of that amazing man that Brian is. And uh, there's others coming online. Uh, if you haven't met Darren, Darren's got just a, just a powerful spirit about him. His, his, his psyche, his personhood is, is powerful from the moment I met him in regards to breaking down barriers almost immediately the way he interfaces with people and talks with people you see so you see the the kingdom is growing and it's kind of cool that god is raising guys up and putting them in places where they really need to be so you know the message this morning that brian's going to bring really has to talk about a man that really was the man and i'm thankful that we can have the man brian bragg who is quite a warrior He's teaching me how to be a warrior, and so he's speaking about one of the greatest warriors, and that's King David. So 
Let's bring him on, Brian Bragg. Woohoo! Love you, brother. And we got this on. Don't touch that. Okay, there we go. We don't want to lose this one. No, we don't. Like we did last year. Yes. Uh, while, while I kind of get going, uh, turn to First Samuel. We'll be we'll begin there in First Samuel chapter thirteen, just so you're there when we are are ready to uh, begin. You know, we're all we're all we're all built by our experiences, right? Amen. And that's and that's and that's what it is. You know, as he talks as I was never I was never really that that guy. You know, I'm like. You know, growing up, I was I was an overweight kid. Um, my dad my dad chased uh, mill jobs all over the place, so I was always I was always the new kid at the school. And when you're kind of the the fat, freckle faced, buck toothed kid that that shows up, literally that's what I was. You know, I had really big buck teeth, and you know a lot of a lot of things for for kids to to pick on you, right? And so I got beat up all the time when I was growing up. You know, I was bullied a lot uh, when, when I was a kid. And so, you know, we finally ended up in Eugene and and uh, 14 years old, you know, my mom left. Just one day decided she's like, tired of being a mom, tired of being a wife. She said those words and walked out the door. That was it. And I was mama's boy. I was youngest. Um, my brother's three years older, but I was I was I was a mama's boy. And so that was that was devastating. Right. It's like, then what am I? What am I supposed to do? My dad, love my dad. He's a good man. Just he's rough, right? Dad, dad was rough. Um, and so now what do I do? So I mean, literally the day I turned 15, I was I'm a I'm a summer baby. So, um, you know, literally it was a, a few days after um, school was out. You know, he wakes me up at five o'clock in the morning because at 15 you can have a worker's permit, right? Back then anyway, and. And actually, at 14 years old, I was working in the office, doing stuff uh, around the office at the mill. And but the day I turned 15, and I didn't know it, he wakes me up, it's four o'clock in the morning. Get out of bed, going to work. I'm like what? Brand new pair of boots, kind of stuff laying out there. Just get get dressed, let's go. And that was my introduction to pulling green chain at 15 years old, wow. as as a little fat kid. You know, that summer. I uh, would sleep on the way up to work because he'd drive. I'd work eight or ten hours. I'd sleep on the way home, uh, eat dinner, and I'd go to bed. That was my summer as a 15-year-old, you know. But it, it helped me become a man, right? So now all of a sudden, all those all those people that want to pick on me, well, guess what? You pull a green chain for, for even for three months, you know. <laughs> I slimmed up and got strong, didn't I? Pretty quick, you know. And then I got angry. I was angry. My mom left. You know, I was just, I was just an angry. I was just angry. And that, that's a, kind of what was a bad combination is I got stronger and I got angrier. Right? So then I just started pushing back. And, and I, was never, I was never the bully, but I definitely took care of the bullies. I didn't let people push me around. I didn't let people push anybody around. They became that. And so I... I was a very angry person, you know, and in, in high school, that's kind of what I was. And that's what I really appreciate about Bill. It's like, like he knows, he knows how to handle people, you know, like everybody has to be kind of handled differently, you know, and, and Bill understood that. And I mean, I've shared this before, you know, like walking out of the class one day and, and like he grabs me, right? Nobody touched me. Like if you grab me, you're probably going to get punched right in the face, 
you know. He grabs me and pulls me out of the line as we're walking out, and he knew I was having a bad day just because he, cause he's reading, because he cared, right? No idea that it was that was Christ in him that was that was doing that, or what I was even seeing. But he grabs me, right? And he's like, "You okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I'm fine." He's like, "All right, well, if you need to talk to somebody, come talk to me." All right? And he literally like pushes me back in the line, like shoves me back in the line, you know? And I'm like. Oh, yeah, that was strange, but okay, you know. <laughs> but look at that, you know, like like 15 years later, and you've all heard the story, if you haven't, 15 years later, right? When my life falls apart and I, and I, and I think that God is the answer, he's the guy I call. Never, never saw the man for 15 years. Yeah, just with little interaction, he was showing me the power of living the life of Christ that people don't even, I had no idea what I was seeing. But when I was seeking God, he's the only man I thought of. Crazy, right? That, that power that we have, that God has given us in Christ to change people's lives. You know? And so, you know, the, the whole warrior mentality, you know, it, it began um, out, of, out of a self-defense type of, type of deal for me, you know? And it's transition, and it's been a hard transition, because I stayed that hard guy for a long time. Even as a new Christian, I stayed kind of that hard, that hard guy, right? And it's been hard to kind of let some of that go. You know what I do now? You know, you need the warrior mentality, but even more so in Christ, Amen. to be the warrior for God. I've always said this, and and some of you that have heard me heard me pray a lot, especially on, uh, for a Lord's Supper meditation. I'm thankful for the greatest warrior that ever was and ever will be. Amen. And that's Jesus. The greatest. The greatest warrior. You think about what Jesus, how he lived, right? What he had to endure. And yet had such an amazing attitude, right? We talk about a sin-free life. And, and we say it like in a simple sentence. Oh, he just lived a sin-free life. Way to go. Uh, it, you, you think about the mindset and the determination that that took to have never sinned yet he was tempted in all things as we are so everything that we've been tempted in and that we have fallen short in he didn't Amen. it's just it's just an amazing mindset you know greatest warrior you know we talk about you know tj talked about you know really really crawling out of that of that hole you know and and, and oftentimes talk about um, you know, sports stars, right? How come after Michael Jordan, you never heard of Michael Jordan Jr. or any other Jordan son that he had that ever succeeded in basketball? It, it didn't happen. See, Michael Jordan had to crawl himself out of the life that he had, and he worked had to work so hard to get what he did, right? And so we have to be careful about making maybe life too easy for our kids and for those around us, right? Because part of what makes us who we are is by our experience and what we had to crawl out of right? and what we had to endure. And that's, that's really important as we look at, as we look at David, at, at King David, you know, being the youngest, right? 
Being the youngest isn't always the easiest. And, and yet, and yet, and yet, King David, as we look at him, you know, it's just amazing to know the kind of mindset that he had. More importantly, as we look at at him, the humility that he had, right, that made him so successful, you know. And he understood that it wasn't him that made him successful, right? It was God that made him successful. And we have to have that same mindset. It's already been brought out. You know, DJ, as you were talking about, uh, you know, houses, like having no idea how to, how to read, read plans. Um, I just thought my grandma just passed away, 100 years old. You know, she had lost her mind, really didn't know who I was for quite a few years. And we had this discussion quite a few years ago. I'm like, hey, when you don't know who I am anymore, I don't want to remember you as the person that, that's kind of the vegetable that doesn't know anything. So when you hit that point, I'm not going to come see you anymore. And we were okay with that. We had that discussion, you know. So the day I walk into her house a few years ago, and she's made a mess on the floor, and she's pulling her pants up, and she calls me Earl, which was my grandpa's older brother who had been dead for years. Okay, it's time, All right? So I cleaned up Grandma on and uh, got her all set up and said my goodbyes. But when did you talking about the plans, TJ? My grandpa, he built three houses, and he wasn't a carpenter. He was a mill guy, forklift driver for most of his years in sawmills. And so every day after work, he would swing by the local construction area of where they were building houses, and he would see what they did that day so he knew what the next step that he needed to take when he was building his house. Had no idea what he was doing, but he would go and see, okay, this is what they did next. Got it. And he would go do that. And he built three houses. All of them still standing. One in Cottage Grove they built in the 40s. That's, that's still there. You know. But I thought about that. You know, here's Grandpa having no idea, you know, how to build a house. But he's like, but I can do this. Right. Right? He believed in himself and his ability. And as, as we think about experiences that change us, right? So my great-grandparents were devout Christians. There's a kind of a long lineage of, of Christianity in my family until it hit my grandparents. And they were mocked one day as they went into assembly at their parents' church because they weren't there all the time. And my grandparents were very strong individuals. And my, especially my grandma. And when she was mocked in front of people, she's like, I'm never coming back to this place again, ever. And she never did. And so Christianity died in my family, right there. And so my grandparents, my dad, uncle, so for two generations, it was lost. And yet, God said it's time to bring it back, right? And so, you know, I praise God the fact that I have, that he's given me that opportunity to, to bring that back into to my family. So my children know, right? And still trying to win my dad. And still trying to win my brother and the rest of my family, you know? When I first became a Christian, I, I, I studied with my grandma. 
sat down with her, and she did pretty good for a while. Until she realized that Grandpa wasn't a Christian. Smart woman. She's like, well, then Grandpa's not in heaven. Well, Grandma, I mean, read scriptures correctly. That's a hard answer. That's a hard question to answer, right? You know? And she's like, well, if Grandpa's not in heaven, I don't want to be there. So we, of course, go to Lazarus and the rich man, right? Well, the rich man's like, hey, let me let me go back and talk to my family, right? And they're like, well, if they don't, I'm not going to listen to the, the prophets. They're surely not going to listen. I'm like, Grandpa's saying, just like this guy, listen to your grandson. Listen to your grandson. If Grandpa's down there, he doesn't want you down there. Listen to your grandson. She told me, if you come back to my house, you're going to bring that Bible in. Don't come back. Because I don't want to talk to you. Well, I had to continue to build my relationship with my grandmother. So I stopped bringing the Bible and I stopped talking about God. I still tried to live that life, right? That she would see. I was down there all the time. I was spending time with her. Never asked again. And so she's gone. You know? And that that's hard. That's that's a hard reality to 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 sometimes think about. You know, when you when your grandparents who I who I loved so much didn't make it. And that's tough, you know. So as as Bill has talked about, you know, we we live this life not only to make sure that 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 we make it, but even more important than that, that others make it. Our children, those in our immediate family those that we work with, those that we come in contact with. We don't know. We don't know if we're the person that when they walk out in front of us, like, are we are we the ones? Are we the one person that, that God is putting in front of them to share the gospel message with them, you know, to, to live that life, to, to give them that opportunity to come ask? We don't know. We don't know. What spurred Bill to grab me that day out of that line? What spurred him that day in, in the school store to say, hey, you know, I'm a preacher in Pleasant Hill. And for me to say, good for you. And that was the conversation we had. The only time he ever mentioned the Bible, the church, anything to me was at that moment. And the rest of it was what? Living the life of Christ. Showing me Jesus, having messages on his wall that I had no idea were from the Bible. Right? Like, well, that looks pretty cool. It's a pretty cool saying. How important it is for us, brethren, and and more importantly, men, to lead and to live that life. That, that's what we're called to do. So as, as we look at the experience, right, of, of, of King David, you know, from the very beginning, right, and we're going to see that, you know, from the very beginning, <clears throat> taking out lions and bears, right? Do you believe it as we read it? I hope so. Because if you don't believe that, then you might as well just throw the Bible in that fire right there because then you're not going to believe any of it. Right. We just, we don't have the, the choice of just believing part of the Bible or whatever sounds good to us. You know, it's about it's about believing and then living that standard. 
You know, law enforcement has changed drastically in the last couple of years. A lot. And when you talk about experience, we've lost a whole bunch of it. When you talk about sissies, right? That's that's what they want now. And so to maintain that that warrior mentality as 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 Christians, as men, and for me in particular for what I do, to have that warrior mentality. And they want to squash that. The devil wants to squash That's the right. warrior mentality in you That's exactly right. as a Christian. Yep. And so we have to maintain that that warrior mentality all the time. You said it, TJ, like it's a constant reminder, right? It's a constant reminder. So what so what do I have in my house now? Right? I took down we I used to set up all the stuff, you know, all the awards that, that I've been given, you know. I mainly it was for the boys to kind of see, hey, look at the the hard work you guys can, you know earn these things, you know, by just going and doing, but then I, I took all that stuff down and now it's all about reminding myself, them, anybody that walks in my house to have that warrior mentality. I have a, a 30 by 40 canvas of a warrior in a mask. Right? And the quote that says, uh, out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we're lucky to have them because they make the battle. But the one, the one is a warrior, and he will bring the others home. To have that warrior mentality, right? That's hanging in my house, 30 by 40 canvas. All kinds of different things. Amanda and Rena, you've heard me talk about that for the last couple years, right? You've heard me quote that. That's there as well. Or how the the fate whispers to uh, the warrior that he can't handle the storm. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. That's there too, on a canvas, hanging in my house. To read every time I walk by. To remind myself, first off, as a Christian the warrior that I am for God, but also as a man on this earth having to face the challenges that we face all the time. And to have the greatest example of that in Jesus, again, as the greatest warrior that ever was and ever will be. It's that constant reminder to ourselves of who we are in Christ. You know, Bill said it last night. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Amen. Christ now. You are Christ now. You have all of that in you. I have that. We all have that. Do you believe it? I hope so. And then to go out and, and live it. Mm-hmm. And, and the devil knows, right? You can, you can fake it. But the devil's going to know, right? We had, a, we had a new recruit one time walked into the 7-Eleven. And 7-Eleven doesn't really care about the employees they hire. Most of the time they hire convicted felons that we've arrested and fought with and even been bit by some of our fine canine dogs. You know, and they're, they're the big 6'5 old guy that we used to run and fight with and do all kinds of stuff with. It was He's working there, right? And him and I never really got along. He's a bully. You know, I just already, I already said I don't like bullies, right? 
to people stand up all because of his size. He always thought he could just push people around. I never went for it. And he respected that, you know, even though he said a couple times he'd just like to slap my head off, and I'd tell him, we'll go ahead and try. <laughs> He's standing there, right? New guy walks in, and, and new officers don't know what to do with their hands. A lot of gear here, you know. It's hard to cross your arms because you've got your, your, your vest, and it's kind of hard to... So you see, like, a lot of new recruits, like, I, so they kind of stand awkwardly, right, you know? And so we're walking in, we're doing something there, and immediately, who's he pick out? He looks over there at that guy, he's like, you're new. You're new, and he starts mocking him, right, making fun of him. Well, I can't have that happen, so I walk over and tell him to shut his mouth, right? And you just shut up, you know, just leave him alone, you know. Well, what are you going to do? Well, come over across the counter. We'll figure that out. You know, it doesn't really matter. But but what he picked that out immediately, right? Because the guy didn't have any experience, right? And so he looked. He just looked like he didn't have it, right? And he didn't. So what what do we look like? What is experience? What does that look like? So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we'll begin there. Of course, we know that Saul was made kingdom, that the people wanted a king, right? God's like, I am your king. They didn't care. We want a king. We want a real, we want a human king here, right? So Saul was made king, you know. Of course, he didn't listen to God. He didn't fulfill, do the things that God asked him to do completely. So in, in, in chapter 13, in verse 13, it says, But Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for the Lord would now have established your kingdom over Israel forever. See, you would have. So you, all you had to do is listen to God, Saul, and he would have established your kingdom forever. How about us? All we have to do is listen to God. That's all we have to do. Do what he asks us to do, right? But in verse 14, it says, But now your kingdom shall not endure. Not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Hmm. So Saul lost it, but he's talking about a man after God's own heart. And who's he talking about there? He's talking about, as we're going to see, that's King David. Already. Isn't it awesome to be call the man after God's own heart I've always appreciated (laughs) everything about the story of David because I think we've all been there when we're like what just came out of my mouth or what I just portrayed is not Christ-like and and though I messed up and we're going to see how David messed up a few times where was his heart and I'm so thankful that God knows my heart there's times what comes out doesn't look very good, but God knows. God knows where my heart really is, you know, and what I feel, you know, maybe not immediately, but when, when I look back on that much, like as we're going to look at David, like, oh my goodness, right? But I'm so thankful that God knows my heart, that God knows your heart, right? Yes. That's super, that's very, very important. But to be called a, a, a man after God's own heart. How awesome would that be, right? And, and we'll kind of take a sidetrack here because I've always been amazed about Job too, right? Job. He, God gave the devil free reign over Job somewhat. Don't kill him. 
but you could do everything else to him because he had such confidence in Job, right? Such confidence in David. Does he have that same confidence? Can he have that same confidence in us? Do you feel that? Like, you know what? God, go ahead and tell the devil, come after, come after Scott, right? Come after Keith. Come after Kirk. Go ahead. Because they're going to stand for me. How awesome is that when, when God thinks that about us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what we want. We want to please him first, right? We want to give him all the glory, honor, and praise. Do things that bring him happiness. Because I'm telling you, it comes down here. It says all the time he was angry with the people. He was angry. Imagine what he's thinking now. All that he has created. And so many have turned away. And just the grossness, the horrible the things that people do and think. Like you say, we, we're just we're, we're trying to change sexes. We're trying to, it's just disgusting. He's got to be so disgusted and so angry with what's going on, right? It's our job, right? It's our job to bring him joy and in the process be saving others, right? Making sure that we first ourselves get there, but then others will come too. And it's about the life we live as we see that. So let's go to Acts real quick. We'll get out of first. Samuel. Keep, your, keep your finger here in First Samuel because we're going to come back. But go to Acts, and we're going to see how Paul kind of talks about, I like how he just kind of makes a little snippet here in a, in a few really short sentences in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 16, as he stands up in the synagogue. When asked, hey, anybody want to say anything? Sure. So, so Paul stood up in, in, in Acts 13, verse 16. Paul stood up motioning with his hands. He said, men of Israel, and you, if you're God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness, right? And when he, when he had destroyed seven nations, the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, after God had removed Saul, God raised up David, right, to be their king. Concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Through the line of David, right? Jesus came. How awesome is that? You know, David, though he made mistakes, right? He was not perfect because there's only one perfect. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But David, right? Jesus comes through the line of David. God promised him that. But now David had to make a choice, right? Just like we have to make a choice every day. There's still free will. Back then there's free will. Still have to choose. See, Saul chose. God said, well, I would have made your forever, right? I would have. But you decided to go against me. And so we have that same free will. 
to make those choices and decisions to follow God or to go about doing whatever we want to do. And see, it's not just about us. I hope we understand that the decisions and the things that we do and we make, it's not just about us. It affects so many other people. Our, our physical family, our spiritual family, others that maybe we were destined to be the ones for them to, to show them Christ, and yet because of the decisions we made, now we'll never come across that person, and, and, and maybe we were the only ones, so now they're lost forever. It's not just about us, brethren. It's about so many others. It's about bringing glory to God, but also, right, about helping to save others. So as we see that little snippet from Paul, isn't that awesome how he just put all that together, just, you know, in a, in a few sentences, just laid it out right there. There it is, right? So go back to 1 Samuel. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up in, uh, in verse 16, or chapter 16, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. So they line up Jesse's sons, right? Because they're they're gonna they're gonna anoint the new king, and in verse seven, so chapter sixteen or at verse six, uh, when they entered, they looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him before God, <laughs> because he's what he's looking at a what, a physical appearance. Aren't we glad that God doesn't look at a physical appearance, right? Are, are we glad? You know because I you know. I love you guys. Looking out at this group, it's like, whoo, you know, when it when it when it comes to a worldly standard of physical, you know, whatever it might be, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, are we really? But then again, God looks at the heart. God looks at the inner man, right? And that's where it, and that's where it is. Thankfully, but in verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord." looks at the heart right i gotta i'm talking about it so i gotta show you that it actually is in the bible right and i'm sure you all know it's it's there it's all over the place god looks at the heart he doesn't look at the physical appearance right he's looking at the heart how important that is so you know samuel's like oh it must be this guy because <coughs> he's you know the oldest he looks great nope not that one not that one not that one do you have any other sons anywhere is there, are we missing something here? Because we just lined up all the sons and, and you just said no to all of them, right? We'll skip down to verse 12. So uh, he sent word, brought David in. Now he, David was reddish, with beautiful eyes, and a handsome appearance. So, well, good. So not only was David had a good heart, but hey, he looked good too. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And all right, well, now the youngest. Could you imagine the older brothers? I mean, like, literally, like, really? Like, really, we're going to take the youngest? Right? What's wrong with me? Right? Yeah, yeah. Throw him in the eye. No kidding. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Right? And they all watched it. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrifying you. May our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Have them search for a man who is a skillful musician on the harp. And it shall come about, whenever the evil spirit from God is upon you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will become well. 
So Saul said to the servants, Well, select for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men responded, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a valiant. Now listen now. They're describing David. So David's a skillful musician, right? A valiant, mighty man, a warrior. A warrior. Skillful in speech and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. A warrior. The youngest, David. A valiant, mighty man. A warrior. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, who was with the flock. And so Jesse did so. And took a young goat, sent by Saul, right? And off they go. Um, and David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul greatly loved him, and he became his armor bearer. So Saul said, we're just saying, let David now be my attendant, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would feel relieved and become well, and the evil spirit would leave him. Isn't that interesting? Anybody find that interesting? That God is replacing Saul as king with David, and yet David's the one that is bringing him, you know, ease. Right by by playing his his harp, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but you know, there's times like Saul doesn't even recognize who David is, which seems a little bit confusing to me. Maybe it's because of the evil spirit. I don't know, but there's times like Saul's like, "Who's this guy? This guy's been playing the harp for you the whole time, making you feel good." It's David. He's the anointed one, you know. And so you wonder how how much Saul was was being tormented by. By the evil spirit, you know, but here we are. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna hit, we're gonna hit David and Goliath. Why not, right? Why not? Why not? Just, just briefly, in verse seventeen or chapter seventeen, we'll begin in verse fourteen. So David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Right. And the Philistines came forward morning and evening and took his stand for 40 days. Right? Philistine, Goliath. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp uh, to your brothers. All right? So he's like, go. Go off to you. Go, go see your brothers. Take this to them. So that's what David's doing, right? He's going there to kind of see his brothers to give them some, some food. In verse 22, Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. So he's already there. Ran to the battle line. And he entered and greeted his brothers, right? So he's there to what? He's there to help his brothers. Shows up, he's greeting his brothers, happy to see his brothers, right? And he was speaking with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath and Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard him, right? So again, now, you think about it. So, so, so David's anointed, right? I mean, he gets what's happening, right? And yet he's still what? He's still being the servant. He's running food to his brothers on the line. He's sitting there now. He's listening to Goliath. And in verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were very fearful. Warriors, right? Wrong. They're, yes, yes, thank you. That's exactly right. You make a great point. Sissies. I've said that over and over. A bunch of, there's a bunch of, there were sissies back then too. <laughs> Right? But they're also warriors. So yes, we have we have a bunch of 
of, of weak individuals even now, but we had them back then. Yep. Homosexuality, we had that back then, right? The grossness of the world was back then. The same as it is now, probably a little bit different, but it's it was there. So in verse 25, and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will make the man who kills him wealthy with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who were standing by him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and rids Israel of the disgrace? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? For he has dared to defy the armies of the living God. Yep. The people answered him in agreement with the statement, saying, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard David when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. He said, Why is it that you have come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Like, go back. What are you doing here? I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, Well, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? So here's a little brotherly feud going on here, right? And we can all understand that if we have siblings, right? <laughs> so maybe Eliab was a little little, little burned about the whole anointing, right? Wait a minute, I was looked at, and then the little brother got it. And so he's like, just go back to the sheep. What are you doing? And he turned away from him to another and, and said the same thing. The people replied with the same words uh, as before, right? So when the words that David spoke were heard, they, they informed Saul, and he sent for him, right? So it got back to Saul about what David had said. And David said to Saul, May no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. There's that warrior mentality, right? He even ends with an exclamation where I'll, I'll go fight him. I'll go, I'll go take this guy on. I got no problems. But Saul said, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you're only a youth. While he has been a warrior since his youth. But, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock. I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, well, go, and may the Lord be with you. Now, this is a good time to talk about the difference between arrogance and confidence. Yes. Right? There's a difference. Amen. And, and to me, the biggest difference between those two is humility. Amen. That's right. The arrogant man probably is experienced and knows just as much as the confident man. But the difference is the humility. And we talk about that all the time. I share that with my boys. I share that with new officers. I share that with veteran officers. It's about humility, right? Why do 25-year cops get killed? They get complacent. They think they know it all. Yep. They think they've seen it all. Yep. And then they walk in a situation and get blasted. Because they think they know it all. They're not humble. They don't continue to grow. You know, working with, with this guy here who's had four dogs, right? 
and I'd, I'd watch him walk, you know, work his dog, or, or if I got in a chase with somebody, or somebody ran for me, you know, I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm sure I heard the chain link over here, like, I'm sure this guy ran that way, and his dog's going, no, no, we're, we're supposed to go this way, but even after having fun, and, and wanting to trust that dog, he's like, you know what, we'll go check that area first, and we'd go check around where I thought I'd heard the, the guy, guess what? No, it was over here where the dog was wanting to go initially. Because he could have said, you know what? The, no, you're wrong. We're going to go this way. But instead, he's like, you know what? We'll go check that out first. Worked around, didn't find anything, headed back that way, find the bad guy, wherever. But even after all those years of working dogs, right, still was humble. And there were times he's like, man, I just... I just know, like, we were working this this area, this guy, violation restraining order, you know, keeps keeps dealing with this guy. And we, we searched that entire neighborhood, right? And literally, we're going back to our cars. And we're going back to our cars, and the dog's kind of like, whoop, kind of perks up, you know? And so I'm like, I'm getting in my car, man. I can't remember if it was cold or rainy. I'm like, I think it was cold. I'm like, I'm cold. I want to get in my car. I've been walking around following this dog, you know? And all of a sudden, I hear him challenging somebody. You know, dog's going nuts. That dog, as we're walking back, and he and instead of just being like, nope, we're just still the dog in the car, we're done. Nope, nope, you're going to trust it. Dog goes over, the dude's hiding in the bushes the whole time, right there next to our cars. It was quite a ways away from the actual house, too, you know. But there he was. The humility, right? Humility is so important in everything that we do. And so David, right, David humbly says, you know what? The Lord's rescued me from all this other stuff. He's, he's going to be with me here. And I could just see, you know, I, I imagine like when, when this guy, you know, this giant is just screaming and was like, what are you guys doing? Let's go get this guy. He's defying the armies of God. How are we when somebody talks bad about our Lord, our God? Do we stand up? Or do we walk away? That's hard, right? When I was when I was first immersed, of course, we all know, like when we first hit that get out of that water, man, we're so excited, right? We're so excited. I was walking around, of course, our 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 county fair, right? Where not a lot of nice people are, and 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 I have a, a shirt on, you know, the, the Got Milk slogan. Well, my shirt says Got Jesus? Question mark. You know how many how many confrontations and good things that, that came about from that, you know? I have more of that shirt in years. Why? Shameful. I'm ashamed of that. That I don't walk around with that shirt on looking for that, trying to help people. Let's have that conversation. One guy wanted to talk about Buddha. Kind of as a joke, right? Almost got that guy. Like by the time it was all said and done, he, he realized it wasn't a joke. Why don't I walk around with my God Jesus shirt on anymore? What's wrong with me? I'm ashamed of that. I call myself a warrior, and yet I'm not going to do that? I hear people talk about, about God in, in a negative way. Do I always step in there 
No. Shameful. We can do it gently. I've come a long ways. I still got a long ways to go. I have found some gentleness, believe it or not. It's in there. I know it's in there. Because Christ <laughs> dwells in me. Right? It all dwells in there. It, it, it's all there. It's just a matter of me, what? Pulling it out of there and using it, right? So we go, let's go to let's go to chapter eighteen. Say so we're just kind of skipping through here. We know that David kills Goliath, right? Yes. You know, you know, he, we know he does that. Grab some stones. They try to put the armor on him. He's like, no, I got these. Got it. Done. Right? And you th- you think David slung some of those stones before? You talk about some experience, oh, yeah. right? Amen. Like he had confidence to know that God was going to be with him, and that he could do that, right? And just does it. Walks out there confident. Confident. We have to walk with confidence, knowing that the Lord is with us. Right? David's given God all the glory, not himself, but God the glory. But he's walking with that confidence, knowing that God is with him. In 1 Samuel 18, in verse 5. And David went into battle wherever Saul sent him. So after that, you know, David kills Goliath, and, and Saul's like, well, this guy's great. And so he, he sends him out, right? And, and wherever battle, battle, wherever Saul sent him, and always achieved success. So David always achieved success. Chapter 18, verse 5. So Saul put him in charge of the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened that as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing. To meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with other musical instruments. They were coming there to what? To meet King Saul. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul saw become what? And very angry. For this lyric displeased him, and he said, They have given David credit for ten thousands, but for me they have only given credit for, for thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Well, he's going to take that too. And Saul eyed David with suspicion from that day on. Right? This is the guy that was playing music for you. Right? He's the one that, that and it's like you act like you don't even know him every time you see him or hear about him. You know? So now Saul wants to kill David, right? Now he's afraid of him. Um, tries to set him up with his, uh, with his daughter, right, as, as a trap in verse 23. Um, you know, that, that doesn't work. Um, cause there it says in verse 23, so Saul's servant spoke these words to David, but David said, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law since I am only a poor man and insignificant? So everything he's done, all the battles he's fought, all the people that he's killed, everything, he still considers himself what? A poor an insignificant man because he knows it's because of who? It's not because of him. Right. It's because of God. All that experience, all that time, all that fighting, the valiant warrior that he is, right? He still considers himself a poor, insignificant man. How about us? Right? Do we give all the glory to Jesus? Right? We're only great because of him. 
We only have the things and achieve the things because of him, right? It's not about us. It's not because of us. I was, I was a horrible, angry loser before Christ. He's the one that made, makes me the man that I am. He's the one that makes me the warrior that can go out there, right, yeah. and fight the devil and fight the men of this world. I didn't used to, to talk to people that I fought with. I'd break their face, and then we'd have a horrible conversation on the way to jail, right? It was still the same. Like, you know, you're a dirtbag, you're a whatever. We'd have our back and forth, you know, until Jeff one day says, you know, they can't go anywhere in the back of your car. They're no longer a threat. Why don't you try to encourage them? Well, why would I want to do that? I just fought with this idiot, you know? I'm like, what? so I did. You know what? I started, right? I'm like, you know what? Jesus would have the opportunity. If he was driving in the jail right now, Jesus would sit there and want to, want to encourage him to try to do better, right? And so I started. And the success that I have found because of that is unbelievable. And it's because of God. See, there used to be guys sit there in the back of my car that would have no idea how they know the, to push that button? How would they know to say that to me to know that was going to infuriate me? They don't even know me. Well, that's the devil. That's right. right. Working through them. So I started encouraging them. Hey, man, ain't nothing personal. I'm sorry your face is broken, but, you know, we'll, we'll get it fixed. And, and, you know, let's do started encouraging them, you know, and the guys that some of the knockdown, drag out fights that I have with people, they'd be crying by the time I got them to jail. And not because their face hurt from the words that we had, from the encouragement I was trying to give them. So many people that are addicted to drugs, it's a horrible thing to have to see that every single day. I tell people all the time, I have no idea what you're going through. I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly which, but I see it every day. You know, and, and, I, and I want you to better. Here's, here's some resources. You stand in front of that judge. The judge is the one. They got the power to get you into some, some help, you know. I'm like, and I always go to kids. Do you have kids? Most of them have kids. I'm like, do you have pictures of your kids? I do. Awesome. There's your incentive. There's your incentive. So I try to encourage them in that way, you know. And there's nothing better than being on a traffic stop at 3 o'clock in the morning with some of the car, and here's somebody from the black darkness somewhere walking over there going, Hey, Brag! Hey, Brag! Brag, well, who is yelling at me? You know, I'm in the middle of this traffic stop. I'm like, hey! <laughs> I look over there. I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, give them the time of day, not be like, shut up! You know, because I used to do that too. Shut up! <laughs> Busy here. You know, instead I try to get away, and I'm like, yeah, what? What's going on? You know, like, been 10 days! Been 10 days. Been 10 days since they used. And they're so proud of that fact, they want to tell me. Because, thanks be the, to God, through Jesus, the encouragement, the changes that God has made in me, the encouragement that I brought them, at least got them 10 days of clean, right? Or the ones that you see that all of a sudden, like, you run a license plate, you're like, no, no way. That guy's got a car registered, and he's got a valid driver's license? <laughs> and so I'll stop him, right? And sometimes I have reasons to stop him. Besides, I just want to say something like, hey, what? 
you, you can't stop me. What'd you stop me? I, I, look, I just want to stop you and say, good job. Nice job. Awesome. That is, that is so awesome that you're able to do this, you know? My cuts just, and they're like, oh, I thought I was in trouble again, you know? And that, that, that paranoia that sometimes never leaves them, right? Yeah. You know, to have to have to live like that. So just that encouragement, right? See, we can do that. That's right. That was a a big change. That was a big change that I had to to have Jesus do that to make those changes in me, right? To be that encourager. And so we listen to David, right? So Saul's trying to kill David. He's he's like, this guy needs to go, right? He's trying to trap him with his daughters. Uh, You know, that doesn't work. So, and even his own, right? To show the greatness of, of, of David, you know, Jonathan, right? Saul's son. Yeah. Now, your sons probably are going to love you more than anything if you're doing things right, right? And, like, and sometimes that's just natural. Your boys want to be around their dad, want to love their dad. Jonathan loved who? Jonathan loved David. Jonathan protected David from Saul. And so here, Saul is trying to kill David. He's doing everything he can. Uh, to try to kill him. So go to 1 Samuel 24, and we see David. David has an opportunity here. It says that while Saul's searching for him, you know, Saul goes in to relieve himself in this in this cave, right? Well, who's hiding in the cave? <laughs> right? David and his boys are hiding in the cave. Saul's got no idea. Imagine going there to take, take a pee or something like, you know, I have no idea that, you know, this, here, here's David right there. He's been searching for him the whole time, and there he is. Has no idea, right? And I love God. Isn't God awesome? You know how he sets all this up? And so this is the coolest thing, you know? So in, in chapter 24, in verse 4, it says, And David's men said, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to hand your enemy over to you, and you'll subdue to him as it seems good to you. And David got up and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. We get some instead of just stabbing him right in the back or the neck or you know just like this dude had no idea right he would have no idea what just hit him and so he goes up there and just cuts the part of his robe right and it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. You talk about a humble guy, right? You talk about humility. There's David right there. Now he feels bad because he had an opportunity to kill him. This guy's trying to kill him. He cuts off his robe and feels bad about it. Like, feel bad. So he said to his men in verse 6, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I would do this thing to my Lord. Little L, right? The Lord's anointed. This is the king. To reach out with my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And David rebuked his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up, left the cave, and went on his way, right? So it feels bad. What did I do to the, to the Lord's anointed? That's just humility, right? Such humility. So we see, so as, 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 as Saul walks out, um, David yells at him, right? <laughs> David, what are you doing? This guy wants to kill you. He has no idea you're there. But again, David's trust in who? In God. Not in himself, but in God. 
Saul's response, right, in verse 17. It says, and he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt maliciously with you. Wow, isn't that a great statement? Man, you have declared today that you have done good to me, for the, that the Lord handed me over to you, and yet you did not kill me, right? Saul knew, right? Yeah. Saul knew. So if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Amen. Now behold, I know that you will certainly be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not eliminate my name from my father's household. And David, right? David did what? He swore an oath to Saul. And Saul went to his home, David and his men went up to the stronghold. Did you hear what Saul said about David? It's amazing. All because of David's humility, right? And his and his belief in God. And look and all that he's been through, right? David's a mighty man, a valiant warrior. Could have easily have killed Saul. I think he could easily have killed Saul one on one, no problem. He didn't have to hide in a cave and do it behind his back. But he respected God so much because this was God's anointed, the Lord's anointed, right? And he didn't. So I won't go about how Saul is killed. Saul is eventually killed, right? And his sons, including Jonathan, who David loved. So... David's made king over, over Judah and Israel, right? So now he's got it. He's got, he's got it all, right? And he wants, he's excited. He's excited about moving the ark, right? The ark's been all pent up. It's like he wants to move it. He wants to, he wants to get it somewhere, right? So he's going to move the ark, all right? So in 2 Samuel, cha- uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, so this is, this is already uh, after... Uh, after uh, Uzzah reaches out, right? It's starting to, it's starting to, starting to fall over. And Uzzah's just like, you know, like any of us would have been like, oh, we don't want the ark to fall, you know? Reaches up there, boom, zap, dead. So David's like, what? 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 I was just trying to, I'm trying to do this, and now he's dead. And so he's like, forget it. Put it away. So it goes to, you know, the house of Obed-Edom, uh, the Gittite for three months, right? He's like, put it over there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dealing, I'm not moving this, right? And so now he's frustrated. But it was reported in verse 12, it's King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. So David, okay, he went out, brought the ark of God up from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? With joy, all right? He's like, all right, got, got over it. We're moving it. And he's excited, right? Isn't that awesome? He's excited. How excited are we about God? How excited are we about the things that God does for us? Are we willing to dance in the streets when everybody else thinks we're a fool for God? So, and that was, right? And David was dancing before the Lord in verse 14 with all of his strength. Can you imagine that dude just out there just getting it, you know? Because why? Because he's so excited. He's so excited, you know? 
He's just dancing, man. He was swearing, and he's wearing a, a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with joyful shouting and the sound of the trumpet, right? It's a great day. David is excited about the Lord. He's doing great things to the Lord, right? And you ever think about how many people David killed? How many people David killed? David killed a lot of people. And yet he knew why he was doing it and what he was doing it for. Because when you, when, you, when you kill that many people and yet still have the joy for the Lord, you got the right mindset, right? right. He knew he was doing it for the right reasons. Right. And that's really important to know. Are you doing things for the right reason? See, he was still excited about, about God and what was going on. And it happened in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was coming into the city of David, and, and I want to say Michael. I don't know. I think they know how to pronounce her name. I, I want to say Michael. It was the daughter of Saul, who, 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 was, who was now David's, David's wife. But Michael kind of sounds like a guy's name, but I'm going to say Michael, right? Michael. Is it Michal? Okay, Michal. All right. Uh, the daughter of Saul looked down to the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she was contemptuous of him in her heart, right? She's like, what an idiot. Look at this guy. What? He's the king. What is he doing? She didn't get it, right? How thankful are you? And we've talked about this before about the wives that we have, right? I know all of us here, amazing wives. What makes us better men in Christ? Amen, that's right. You know, is our amazing wives. Oh, <laughs> David didn't care, right? So they brought the ark, set it in the place. Um, David offered burnt offerings. And uh, pick it up in verse 20. It says, when David returned to bless his own household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel dignified himself today. Right? You can just hear the, the sneer in her voice, right? For he exposed himself today in the sight of his servants, female slaves, as one of the rabble shamelessly exposes himself. But David said to her, I was before the Lord, right? Who preferred me to your father, a <laughs> little, little jab, who preferred me to your father and to all his, his house to appoint me as ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. So I will celebrate before the Lord, right? And I might demean myself even more than this and be lowly in my own sight. Uh, but with the female slaves of whom you have spoken with them, I am to be held in honor, right? And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Hmm. But he says, I don't care what you think. I'm before the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. He didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't care about the got Jesus t-shirt that he's going to wear around, right? About maybe some of the comments that, that we might get. Oh, that when we bow our head in public and pray over our food or for whatever, right? I used to struggle with that. Sometimes for me it was, it was more about my insecurity of bowing my head and closing my eyes where people all of a sudden I'm like kind of making myself vulnerable, right? And I'm like, why? Who's with me? Right? God's with me. And even if, if that's the day that somebody's going to come up and do something to me with my eyes closed praying, then that's the day that God has set aside 
to take me home. It's already set. God knows. So now we bow our heads. And not that we go out to eat a whole lot, because when you have five children, it gets really expensive to go out and eat. You know? So, you know, but a few times, you know, my wife and I get to go out, you know, do our date night thing, and we go out to eat. We hold hands, and we pray. There's still some difficult for me there. But I trust in God, and I want him to know that I love him. And I want other people to see. How often do you see somebody bowing their head and praying in public? Do you see that? I haven't seen it in a long time. Again, not that I go out a whole lot. But still, people aren't aren't doing that. So others can see, right? And maybe encouraged by that. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe somebody's struggling with that same thing. Maybe somebody has left the church, and then they see that, right? They see you and others praying, bowing your head. Maybe that's what's going to bring him back. I don't know. You don't know. We just do it the way God wants us to do it, right? Mm -hmm. We do it to bring glory, honor, and praise to his name. So, of course, there's, there's Bathsheba. We don't need to go there, you know. Um, yeah, it was bad, right? You know, of course, a lot of people had different wives, uh, back then, but still just the way he did it. Right. And, and to me, it's crazy, right? The lust of the eyes, right? Like he had like no clue, like what he was doing was like this horrible thing. Right. Gets her pregnant, brings her husband back. He's like, well, cool. How cool is Uriah? Right. I mean, like, he's like, oh no, my brothers are out there fighting. Everybody's out there. I'm not going to be with my wife. You kidding me? My other brothers are out there giving it their all. I'm not doing that. So David's plan doesn't work initially. So then he has him killed, right? Along with other 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 guys were killed because of that. Yeah. Because of what he was trying to do to, to Uriah. Hmm. But ultimately, right, the child that she conceives at that point is it dies. But what comes out of that relationship with Bathsheba once once she becomes his wife, is who? Solomon, Solomon right? So God still brought great things from that relationship. And again, he knew David's heart, right? And yeah, it took somebody to be like, hey, dummy, let me tell you this story, you know? And oh my goodness, are you kidding me? That guard, that was you. Oh, <laughs> you know? For being such a smart dude, Right? This valiant warrior. It's just the, it's the lust of the eyes, right? It does. Especially that one. Let's go to Second Samuel. We've got two more. I know I'm probably running a little bit late, but Second Samuel chapter twelve. Verse 13 and 14, as we talk about the death of the child. See, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. You shall not die. However, since by this deed you have shown utter disrespect for the Lord, the child himself who is born to you shall certainly die. As I talked about before, the decisions we make, the life that we live, is so much more than just about us. Right? My grandparents were mocked in the church, 
and Christianity died in my family because of that. From that one, from that one morning, one act, gone, dead. I want my my boys to grow up, right, to be good Christian men, to choose themselves to live for God, to be warriors, to be leaders. We have to understand that the decisions we make, it's just not about us. You know, you think of Daniel and Lions then, right? Like those dudes that set Daniel up, right? Daniel survives, but the next morning, who gets killed? Just the dudes that set Daniel up? No. Wives, kids, they all, they all were killed. They all were slain because of what those guys did. It's more than just about us. It's bringing glory to God like David did, right? To be that humble, valiant warrior serving God. We'll end in 1 Kings chapter 2. This is the end of David's life. He knows he's going, right? 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He's talking to Solomon. He's going to hand it over to Solomon, right? David knows he's done. As David's time, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Kings 2, verse 1. As David's time to die drew near, he commanded his son Solomon, saying, I am going the way of all the earth, so be strong. And prove yourself a man. Amen. Prove yourself a man. Amen. This is a father talking to his son who's going to continue to reign as king. Do your duty to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, so you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. How is he going to succeed? What's he going to do? Wherever you do, wherever you turn, whatever you do, you're going to succeed by doing what? Walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his ordinances, and his testimonies. In verse 4, the Lord may fulfill his promise, which he spoke regarding me, saying, If your sons are careful about their, their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not be deprived of a man to occupy the throne of Israel. I love that. Prove yourself a man. God has created us as men to lead, to be the warriors that people need, to be the warriors that God needs, right? I wrote this down because I didn't want to mess it up. It said, prove yourself a man of God with great confidence and humility. Be the leaders, be the warriors that God has called you to be. Thank you. All right. Man. Well, every time I hear you preach, every time I hear him preach, I get more fired up, you know, and I'm thinking, man, there's about a dozen guys I'm thinking that should have been here this morning. But you know what? I'm the one that probably needed to hear it. You know, we needed to hear that message. Obviously, we have to have the right mindset. If we don't have the right mindset, we get wiped out. You know, quitters never win and winners never quit, no matter how tough it gets. Man, I appreciate the warrior mindset. 
I'm so thankful for Brian and the investments that he has made in the kingdom and still makes. Now, brethren, we need to recognize we're going to go and eat lunch and have a good time, and I'm really excited about that, but it's the conversations around the, the fire. It's the, the piercing messages that we hear that's really what this camp's all about. Amen? And like I said, we don't have much time left. So those, those, those piercing messages need to get in so we carry it. We can't forget that message. I'm going to go back and listen to both your message and, and Brian's message. I just need to hear that. I was already chatting to, about Jake's message to him. You know, just amazing man of God that, that Barnabas was. You know, knew his place, was willing to let someone step in front and take over. You know, wait till Matt Keikele gets up here. Just an amazing man. So appreciate him. Uh, he's retiring soon. Uh, and uh, he's going to tear it up for the Lord, and, and I got we have had some conversations about me helping him out, tearing it up for the Lord. And this guy's going to go international. He's going to do it in a big way. I'm confident of that. And so he's got connections all over the country, and uh, so he's he's really going to go. So I just praise God that there's men that we're all growing together. And man, and it's exciting when guys outgrow me and just keep on pushing forward. That's what this is really all about. It's not about me. It's about the Lord working through us. And each one of us is a tool. Each one of us is a weapon. Each one of us is a vessel. Amen. I'm just so thankful for that. So let's uh, dismiss this morning's session in a word of prayer. And then uh, we're coming back. I don't remember when we're meeting back here. Do I have it here somewhere? Somebody got the schedule. What's the schedule say? All right, 7 o'clock preaching. However you get here, it doesn't matter when you have dinner. If you don't have dinner, that's fine too, whatever works for you. But 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to start out tonight. we got some really great preaching coming, coming tonight. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I'm thankful for the time we could spend together this morning, the two sermons this morning. Man, just really, really piercing and powerful, helping us to understand just how we need to live this competently, letting the Lord lead, letting the Lord work, letting the Lord do his work in us. And it really comes about by our recognition that our adequacy is from the Lord. Our power is from the Lord. And uh, we are so deeply thankful, Father, uh, for that understanding. And I just pray we would uh, internalize that and live it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.